Welcome to a special series with the Empowered to Connect podcast where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. This is War and Resilience, How Ukrainians Are Teaching the World. We've got a special three-episode series here, and we sat down to talk to several um, individuals about uh, the war in Ukraine, what um, happened to precipitate it, um, how uh, Ukrainian culture has become such a resilient people. Um, and then we wanted to take a look at the future of mental health care in Ukraine. So how are we going to care for the babies who are um, affected by war um, and the adults who have been stuck in the middle of it? And so um, we had some fascinating conversations. First up, episode one is with Madison Yuri Perikti, and they are going to talk about how we got here. How did this conflict start? What was happening before and um, what was it like um, having friends and loved ones there when the war broke out? So now, without any further ado, here it is, Madison and Yuri Pekerti talking about how we got here in the Ukrainian war. All right, well, we're here, as we talked about um, in the opening, with Madison and Yuri Perikati, and they are here. Um, they are stateside right now, um, but we'll get into their story and their connection um, with the Ukraine soon. Um, guys, first of all, thanks for making time to be here, and uh, obviously, there is so much happening in the Ukraine. We want to get to that in just a minute. Um, for people who might not be familiar with y'all's story or with um, kind of where you are in the world, would you mind just kind of sharing a little bit about yourselves and then um, how you made it, well, Yuri, for you back to the Ukraine or Madison, how you made it to the Ukraine? Yeah. So uh, I'm Madison. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. I am the oldest of 10 children in my family and seven of my siblings were adopted from Ukraine. So my story with Ukraine started when I was 12, when my parents took me and my two biological brothers on the adoption trip to Lviv and uh, it changed my world. So when the grandparents complain that we're overseas, it's not my fault. You guys took me there and I fell in love with it. And for anybody who's ever been to Eastern Europe, it's not for everyone. Uh, so it's definitely a part of God's assignment in my life that I love Eastern Europe so much that I went and found a husband from there. Uh, and so uh, the, the short snippets, kind of the little guideposts in my journey were 12 years old, go to Ukraine for the first time in 2001, uh, went back to serve at some summer camps that were Christian youth camps for Ukrainian teenagers, but they brought teams over and the draw was that it was an English language camp. So would go on two week, three week trips, 15, 16, 17, 18 um, years old and served a whole summer uh, the year after my freshman year in college. And uh, Yuri and I actually met at uh, the Passion Conferences in 20, what was that? 2008, 2008, they did a world tour. The first stop was Kiev. My dad and I went because we knew the people that were helping, you know, to make the connections host and translate everything. And uh, he was in a group that um, was sponsored by a ministry we were connected with. And so that's how we met. Okay, that's awesome. And Yuri, you are you are from Ukraine originally. Yeah, I was born in uh, born ten days after Chernobyl, uh, and wow. uh, and uh, in the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, when I met Madison in two thousand eight, uh, my English was not existing at all. Uh, so that, she no. was okay. Hold on, Re- are, like genuinely, <laughs> genuinely. Honestly. No, I, I knew maybe like twenty words. That was that was it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> your English is unbelievable for it to be that young. 
I know. So when we met his, yeah, English was non-existent for him. And I had, I would say two notches above good tourist Russian. So he comes (laughs) from a Russian speaking area and Ukrainian is the national language of Ukraine. But there's a lot of areas where Russian is the native language because of the post-Soviet Union. So I knew enough Russian to more than get around by myself. Uh, and so that's how that's how it started. It's a miracle we're still together. And uh, yeah, the two guys who I kind of learned my English was one from uh, Louisiana, uh, <laughs> kind of Cajun guy, and another one from Utica, New York, who was Peace Corps volunteer. So it's two different. And I thought about, okay, you have a Northern English in Southern English. Then right. we came to Alabama. It's like, oh, it's a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that you learned two different languages of English. Like that's... Those are two different variations. Like, uh, yeah, oh, that's a whole different conversation. That is that is awesome. Well, can, I mean, I would say kudos. Your English is awesome. Um, and so you, okay, you guys get married, move to the States for a time. And what was life like in those early days of being married here? Yeah, so we, in 2011, we got married, did the fiance visa process. You know, that show 90 Day Fiance, like that post dated our marriage. Otherwise, I'm sure we would have applied. Except the less drama. Yeah, not that much drama. We definitely were getting married. So uh, 2011, we got married and we were waiting for his paperwork, you know, just different processes. And we actually, that December of 2011, went back to Ukraine, lived in Lugansk, which is his hometown. We were working with the church uh, there. And then by the time our first anniversary came around in 2012, um, I was pregnant with our first child and it was time to do the next step in his paperwork. And we thought, you know, we really need to go to the States for a period of time to, to get this done, thinking it would be two or three years and then yeah. that we would go back to Ukraine. Uh, so first son is born. We moved, uh, we moved down to Foley. I was from Birmingham, but Foley's like Orange Beach, you know, Baldwin County on the, our little, our little niche of paradise in Alabama. And, uh, so we move here, our son turns one and then the war breaks out in Ukraine, uh, which is, you know, uh, I don't want to say it was, it was shocking. It was shocking at the time, just like this has been. Uh, but the war didn't start February 24th, 2022. It started, uh, eight years before that. And it started in Yuri's hometown. So his family, uh, they were displaced like missile shrapnel hitting the roof, a million plus Ukrainians displaced internally when that war started. And we really quickly realized we would not be able to go back to that area of Ukraine, which had been the plan. So for that period of years from 2013 until 2017, we felt really stuck. Like, Lord, what are you doing? Um, But in the meantime, you know, we wanted to go back, but the war was so uncertain. We didn't qualify to go with certain missions agencies uh, just based on his paperwork. He wasn't a citizen. And so anyway, we're like, okay, what are we doing? And we decided uh, a couple months after my son turned one that we wanted to do foster care. We had heard about the call to foster care uh, at our church in Birmingham, knew the same need existed down here. And so we joined those classes, uh, which we really enjoyed, you know, the 12 week classes that you go through. And one of the speakers on panel night, which is like the last kind of, you know, night of, of meetings uh, mentioned these videos uh, with Dr. Karen Purvis in them. And at that time, like, they weren't even available to buy online. You had to rent them, like check out the DVDs right. through the library of the Children's Aid Society. Yep. They're shipping you with this. So they're shipping with a little zipper bag. So we were like, well, we need those. We don't know what we're doing. So right. we sat in bed and watched all those DVDs like night oh after goodness. night after night. And 
because of that, it changed how we parented every child that came into our home, biological or in the, in the foster care system. Uh, and we did not, we were open to adoption, but we never had a placement where we considered adoption. It was not feasible, either birth order. Um, uh, we, we desired to keep birth order in our family based on my growing, my experience growing up. And yeah, so we spent five years working in the foster care system uh, in in Baldwin County. Uh, We served as foster parents for three years. We did not have a lot of long placements. I had two more kids during that time and we closed our home, but then I got trained as a a co-leader and I was able to lead two groups of parent classes with the social worker at DHR. And so that was a huge privilege and I really found my passion for teaching um, trauma-informed topics and things like that from that adventure. So- Okay. So you're going to ask you a question. You're, you're watching these care and purpose videos and you guys are walking through that journey of foster care here. Are you, as you're learning all of that about the brain and about trauma and and parenting and different approaches and all that, are you thinking about what's happening in Ukraine at that point and thinking about like the need for this content to get there or for you guys to do work there? Was that crossing your mind at all? I think we not thought about, okay, we need to immediately, you know, translate or something like that. We're more like a kind of doggy paddling ourselves, trying to figure out, okay, how can we implement for ourselves for yeah. in, in our life? And then eventually we start thinking about, okay, how can we uh, give, you know, some practical tools uh, to like, our friends or our partners in uh, uh, in Ukraine? So that's kind of like where our uh, journey was. Not like a teaching, more like, hey, if you have a this, you can use this and it's probably will be much yeah. better. And you'll be like, oh, because you know, it's kind of hard when you coming up. It's like, hey, you listen to me. I'm from America. <laughs> right. I'll tell you everything. So, uh, and yeah. I think we, we both reflected on areas where we had served in Ukraine when, when we met, it was, it was at that passion conference, but actually the whole summer we were, we were together we were serving at a camp that served children in at-risk situations, um, like low income from villages and kids who were being raised in orphanages, which if, if you're, if people are not aware, um, the system in Ukraine is orphanage boarding schools and about 70 to 80% of the kids that are in the orphanage boarding schools, even full-time are not true orphans, meaning they still have families who have parental rights or, some, one, of the parent or one parent or one relative. Um, okay. Some of them legitimately cannot take care of their children. It's an 80 year old grandmother who absolutely cannot care for these kids. Well, but yeah. some of them are actually, I mean, the government workers re- recruit families to bring their children there because it keeps the orphanage open, keeps the school open and keeps all those employees there. And for the parents, they get a little taste of freedom because the offer is send your kid to school in this next village and they can come home on the weekends. And they get that taste of freedom of actually not having to parent their children. Um, And I'm not trying to knock them. They're in a hard situation themselves. And a lot of those parents grew up in the orphanage boarding school system and they think, well, I'm okay. So it's okay if my kids, and so the attachment just starts to absolutely dissolve from that school age. And, and so when you hear the numbers of orphans in Ukraine, um, you have to make a distinction between those who truly don't have parental rights or living relatives and those who are simply growing up in an institution by choice, well, by their parents' choice. Yeah. Yeah. So where I started with that was we look back reflecting on our service at those camps Mm -hmm. and going, Okay, we don't need to be hard on ourselves because we didn't know what we didn't know now, what we know now. Right. right but right. how can we do better if we yeah. end up going back, if we end up on short term teams, even if we're advising teams that go, how can we do better? And that really was the catalyst for a lot of what we did, you know, in our four years in Ukraine. Okay. So not long after that, you guys arrived back in Ukraine. And um, Yuri, would you would you give us 
as much as you can, just the, the brief background. So I, I would guess a lot of people don't know that the war did not start in 2022 when we saw it explode on social media, but it it had been brewing, I mean, it had been brewing for generations, right? And then there would be small conflicts on the way. And eight years ago is when the, the war started. Would you kind of give the the brief overview of of here's what's happening over there? This is this is why this started for people who have not, you know, known what's going on. So uh, basically we have a southeast part of Ukraine, the more like a Russian speaking area, uh, because part of the Soviet Union just been in the last 70 years, plenty more people kind of come here, coal mining company, factories. Uh, and that central and western Ukraine, more like heavy, like a normal day Ukraine, like Russian, like Ukrainian speaking. So when I, I was, was born, I was native speaker Russian. I went to school and I learned Ukrainian and I kind of fell in love with Ukraine. And, uh, uh, so 2014, what happened is, uh, uh, after revolution, 2013, 14 was kind of boiling in, uh, we pushed our president who was kind of corrupt and he was moving away from what people wanted kind of to more to more to what Russia wants it. Yeah. Russia next Crimea. And uh everybody was kind of shocked at like, what we do in Ukraine and I expect that. And uh then they kind of start sponsoring the this freedom fighters, I would say in quotes, okay. in the East, saying like, hey, liberate yourself kind of thing. So when war began, uh it was it was hard. It was like uh, the soldiers were going, there was a little real battles and so many people died. And uh, and then kind of they froze this conflict. They kind of drew the lines and said, "We're going to do this." And for a while, uh, people kind of found this weird normalcy, kind of normal life in the in mix of this mayhem. It's almost like you know people start saying, "Oh, war is not here. War is like 100 miles away." Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so for like people kind of learned to leave with that. It was always a mess, but it's kind of like there. And a lot of people run, just run away. Like my parents abandoned their house, left everything, kind of moved wow. to the Western Ukraine because, uh, and my dad even said, like, you know, I'll come back. And he came back uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, I was like, man, it's just so dark. It's just so sad. And uh, because basically it's like a warlords ruling the, this area. Okay. And to, to give people a geographical context, Ukraine is the size of Texas. And the area taken over at the beginning of the war is about the size of New Jersey, a little bit bigger. So this is a large chunk of the country that was taken over and made into what, from the Ukrainian perspective, false republics that uh, were given opportunity to have Russian citizenship, Russian, Russian currency flowing there. So total, totally illegal, false voting to make this annexation happen of Got that it. third of the country plus the peninsula at the bottom. Okay. And so in 2022, what, what was it that transpired to spark everything back up so, so quickly? Um, I, I think it's a great mystery for everybody because okay. uh, before, uh, because we, we came to us right before the war and uh, everybody asking us, uh, because we, we moved to us in Ukraine 2018 and we did stay there for four years almost. So we were, we just to clarify, we were visiting our family on a what missionaries call a furlough or a home assignment. It's, it's when you come and you visit your family, supporting churches, and you touch base, maybe fundraise for a project. So we came in December 2021, planning to go back with our plane tickets on May 2nd, 2022. So this was a four month kind of uh, time in the states for us. So we get here, people yeah. are asking us what's going on. The troops are Russian troops are in Belarus, which is north of Ukraine, and and 
we truly had no idea. We did not think it, anything was going to happen. I, I thought Putin was just trying to convince the world, hey, be afraid of me uh, and I need something for, from you or whatever. Just, I don't know, this yeah. weird kind of muscle flexing thing. Yeah. But, uh, uh, because even out of Russian, do not expect that mm-hmm. whole thing to fall apart. And uh, and so it was it was shock for us. It was truly shock. And, uh, and even though, for example, give you an example, my sister you li- used to live in the East. Uh, and her, her town is like, like one of the last frontiers of Ukraine. Okay. And uh, when uh, everything started happening on February 24th, I'm texting her. It's like, hey, on the news is saying explosions. And uh, I'm checking up with my people in Odessa. And they say in, uh, in our cities, explosions too. It's like, what's happening in the East? And she was saying, well, it's usual. It's like you hear some explosions, but it's far away. It's all normal. And then three hours later, she said, okay, that's everything very, very bad. I need to, I need to get out. So... Even for her, who was on the you know on the border there, uh, she was not expect completely. Yeah, and so it just sort of took it, you know. I think when people think of war and see the images that are coming out, you you think of this like alarm alarm going off and crisis, and everyone has a, almost like a tornado alarm. Like you kind of see it coming, and like oh, we better get out of here. And what you're saying, it was much more of just a surprise of like. Ah, uh, this is oh no, this is not normal, and and it swept so quickly through. And it comes a point like you don't know how big that will be invasion. Because for I'll give you an example, so she was in the east, and then she's like, I need to get out, and uh, they happen on the taxi drive like ten miles to this train station, happen on the train, move to the Kharkiv, and Kharkiv had been heavy bombing. So she's like, okay, we cannot stay here because this is one of the biggest cities in the east. So yeah. like, okay, we need to go to Kiev. They started going to Kiev and Kiev bombing too. They're like, okay, we cannot stay here either. And she and her husband two kids. Uh, so it's like they have a uh, like nine year old, ten year old, and uh, they have a like, thirteen year old. So then they move into the like, uh, to the western part because it was mayhem. Kind of people did not know. Even people who were making moves. Okay, I need to run away. Did not know what yeah. to because you go in and uh, you know the cell service is patchy and there are a lot of you yeah. know, misinformation was flowing everywhere. Man. Wow. So, you know, you guys are stateside and seeing this happen. And, you know, what, what are the things that you were working on? I mean, if you want to share about the war fund, you can. Like, what, I, what were the things you guys were working on during the days here to be connected and support over there? So those first few days and weeks were absolute chaos. We were terrible connected parents. I mean, like every notch you would want to hit as a as an attached parent, we were just not hitting those at all. Right. So we're grateful for for grace uh, from God and from our kids. Um, we um, we were on our phones a lot uh, because we're just checking with people, asking you know, do you need anything? Connecting, um, people. connecting different people, this person to this person. I start sharing in my Instagram stories because I'm getting news from Ukrainian channels on an app called Telegram. Yeah. And I'm saving those photos and videos, translating them and then putting them out there because the American news media, actually, I want to say they it's it's been pretty good coverage. The first six months, especially, were excellent um, coverage on the news. They had live reporters there. I mean, but that you're just getting that one side of it. So right. I'm getting the Ukrainian side sharing that. Um, and pretty quickly we realized we need a way to send money to Ukraine. And we just had never really needed to send money to someone. We could always send it to ourselves from our American account or someone could send it through PayPal. Right. So uh, it was very difficult. So I sat on my computer for hours, those first few days, trying to figure out how do I send money to my friend who needs money for gas to get out? Like it it was really complicated. 
slowly different things, Western Union started to open up. And uh, we are we are with an organization called Globe International, which is a nonprofit sending agency for missionaries. And mm-hmm. so we called Globe and said, hey, we need a separate account that's going to be a fund that if people want to donate money, they can donate it and we're going to get it to our partners. And so our ministry in Ukraine for four years was focused on, um, I would just say, vulnerable populations. So we were working, Yuri was working with our partners a Ukrainian nonprofit called Heritage Ukraine and uh, mentoring teenage boys from single parent um, homes, you know, where absent fathers or fathers who are working overseas. Um, we were working with the deaf community, which is um, an underserved population everywhere in the world. Uh, we were working with families, uh, families with kids with special needs. I was working with the moms uh, of those children. So we wanted to be committed to supporting those partners and groups of people and helping them, you know, evacuate or get, get food or whatever they needed. Um I, I told my dad that first day, like, man, if we could, if we could raise like $10,000, that would be amazing. I mean, God blew our expectations out of the water. So it's far surpassed that surpassed yeah. $50,000 within a couple of weeks, but we've dispersed almost 80% of the the money that we've raised because the yeah. needs continue. Uh, and so we feel really blessed that that's our work advocacy for Ukraine fundraising to send those funds um, to the people on the ground that they may not be getting help from these big organizations or governments. We're really trying to get it to people who, who we know and trust and and know that they need it. Yeah. So for people who are, who are fleeing, let's, let's think of like your, your family, for example, you were talking about um, with a 13 year old and nine year old, 10 year old, like they're, they're on a train trying to get somewhere. Where are, are there places that most families are trying to get to? And, and now that, you know, we're pretty aware of what is happening with the war. Are there places that are known safe havens that, that families are trying to get to if they're needing to flee? So I think a lot of, uh, because in the first 24 hours of the war, Ukraine kind of have an open border. If you want to leave, you can leave. Uh, and after these 24 hours, Ukraine pretty, pretty quickly figure out, okay, we need to keep some manpower. So they forbid every male from 18 to to 60 years old to leave Ukraine. So you cannot leave. So then a lot of families come to the point of, if you want to leave Ukraine, you need to leave by yourself. Okay, female with my kids. You know, my husband got to stay behind. And we had no couple of families and our friends who did that. They thought like, uh, their husband said, you go, you be safe. I'll figure out life here. Yeah. And now it's almost a year they've been split up yeah. that way. And they're like, no, they're visiting on the border kind of like that because he cannot leave. Uh, yeah. Some people decide, okay, we're going to stay, but we're going to stay in the Western parts and they're like renting apartments, renting uh, kind of like houses together or something like that. So, and, and the first wave of people that came out of Ukraine were people that had connections or means or they already had a biometric passport so they could get into a Schengen country with no problem. You know, if you didn't have that. Uh, it was going to be problematic. It's easier to relocate to the West or even people from the East relocate to Odessa, which is where we lived. Um, And it's the big port city on the Black Sea. So even though it's not necessarily safe in Odessa, that's safer than where it was, you know, coming from in the East. So uh, families, uh, families are being separated. This, this war will have detrimental impacts. There's not been a single generation of Ukrainians where the men have been not been touched by war in a hundred years. So you can imagine the impact that that has had on family structure, on trauma, on attachment, on the absence of fathers um, or presence of fathers struggling with alcoholism or uh, just it's 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 tough. It's really tough. It was tough before the war. And now their families just being absolutely torn apart. Yeah, I mean, young. We have a couple that we worked with 
um, last year, 19 years old. They got married last October and he was killed a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And now she's a 19 year old widow f- trying to figure out how to start her life over again. And they didn't even have kids. And she's even said that I'm, I'm actually glad we didn't have kids yet because I can't imagine trying to raise, you know, and that's happening to our, our other friends. Yeah. So um, we're acutely aware of based on their stories, how, how traumatic, truly traumatic and devastating this is. That's all for episode one. You've been listening to War and Resilience, How Ukrainians Are Teaching the World, a production of Empower to Connect Media.